Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Basic Snitches. I'm Adam. And I'm Tara. Yeah, that's right. Tara has been replaced by Karen from Australia. Ha 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 ha. Well, that didn't sound creepy at all. No, just kidding. Tara, unfortunately, is sick at the moment, um, and she's having a bit of a tough week. So... We were talking earlier today, and we really want to keep to our schedule of producing these podcasts for you every week and kind of have the rest of the season and beginning of next season planned out. So I didn't really want to skip, and I also have some precious editing time before things kind of get busy in my schedule. So we made the choice for me to record on her behalf as well as my own. So it's just me today and next week. But then returning for chapter 18, the last chapter of this season, as well as our wrap-up, we will have Tara back. So this is a little bit of a test. It's going to be a little bit interesting for me to record by myself, not have her to kind of bounce ideas off of and have a rapport with. So instead I have Karen from Australia, as the voice is called in the app. The reason why I chose Karen from Australia is that she was telling me about this this past weekend before we were actually going to record and it still seemed like he might be able to join me but then she lost even more of her voice so originally I was like well what we can do maybe is put my summary into a text-to-voice app and have the app speak for her for most of the time and then have her kind of interject a little bit here and there um, so that she doesn't completely lose her voice But then she lost her voice. So when I was testing it out from the last episode, which Tara and I were kind of talking after I edited it, when you're recording a podcast, you have no idea how it's going to turn out. And if you recall, both of us had imbibed quite a bit, but dear Tara was a little bit more inebriated when it all came out in the wash we were like oh my gosh this is the funniest episode ever you don't really remember things that you say when you're recording the whole big old spider puss moment I died I was like wow okay that really came out of your mouth so I tested this out on this app and this is what it sounds like Big old spider puss. <laughs> so obviously I had to go with that right the other test option was Justice for Snick. Perfect. I mean, it sounds just like the bitch. So today I'm going to be talking about chapter 16, the Chamber of Secrets in the Chamber of Secrets. To kick off this episode, as Tara usually does, we do have a winner and a loser of the last chapter, or rather just a winner. Tara let me know that she didn't have a loser for the last episode. We talked a little bit about this and how it was a little bit hard to kind of blame Hagrid and how all of them were kind of justified in their own reactions to the whole spider incident. So no loser, but the winner is Ron Weasley. And I love this. I imagine that her reasoning for this is just how scared Ron was through the whole ordeal with Aragog, and he went through it no matter what and kind of faced his fear head on. So next up, we have our summary, and I wrote a summary this time that Karen from Australia is going to read in lieu of Tara. So take it away, Karen from Australia. Oh my god, exams are coming. What? Yes, children, the school didn't get closed. (laughs) 
Okay, I'm just gonna stop her right there. That was really hard to understand. So, sorry, but you're fired, Karen from Australia. <laughs> Let's try a voice that will be a little bit more easy to understand on this mic. Oh my god, exams are coming. What? Yes, children. The school didn't get closed. Be grateful that means you need to be tested on your education. God, MCG has more news though too. It's officially time to murder the Mandrake so maybe we'll find out who the culprit is once the frozen peeps thaw. Ginny has something to say that's really important. Percy tells her to GTFO though. And Ron and Harry are like, WTF? She was about to tell us something important. And Percy's all like, oh don't worry. She just wanted to tell you that she walked in on him and Penelope fucking. She wasn't the only thing that got petrified. Anyways, one day on the way to History of Magic, Lockhart is so annoyed because everyone knows Hagrid did it, and Harry and Ron are like, peace, and then they get caught by MCG and they're like we're like we miss her, and MCG starts crying and is like, yes, yes, fuck the rules go see your precious Hern. But when they get there they notice a very important clue clutched in her hand Hermione had ripped a page out of a book identifying the monster, a basilisk. It's a big snake that gets born out of a chicken egg when a toad sits on it, and it's scared of roosters. WTF? They're about to go see MCG in the teacher's lounge when there's an announcement for everyone to return to their common rooms. H and R hide in a wardrobe, and here all the teachers come in. There was another message left and Ginny was taken into the Chamber of Secrets. Lockhart stumbles in late, and all the teachers are like, well, it's your chance to go defeat the creature, you fucking dipshit. By I-I-I-I-I-I-I, and Lockhart's all like, fuck. Oh my god. The Gryffindors are super solemn, and H and R are like, we can't just sit here and do nothing. Let's go tell Lockhart we know something. But when they get to his office, he's packing up. The big Olay pussy is skirt. He lied about the books. And he's out of here when the going gets tough. When he's just about to obliviate the boys, Harry Expellier muses the shit out of him and is like, come with us, we're going to the Chamber of Secret Beach. They get to Myrtle's bathroom. And Myrtle's like, oh, hey, hell yeah, I died here. Some boy was whispering and then I saw these big yellow eyes. And Olive Hornby is a fucking bitch, by the way, have you seen her? I need to make her shit herself. But they're like STFU Myrtle, we got to save the school. So Harry chatters at a sink which then, it sinks into the floor. Haha <laughs> get it? What a horrible pun. Anyway, they go sliding down the pipes, which also happens to be the name of yet another video on Quinn Dumble's Pornhub account. And when they get to the bottom there's all these rodent bones there and a huge snackuskin. Lockhart grabs hold of Ron's wand, ooh gross, and tries to obligate them again but you idiot. You knew his wand didn't work all this time. This ends up getting Ron and Lockhart trapped behind a bunch of fallen rocks. And that means Harry has to go forward alone to fight the Basilisk and, presumably, another version of Voldemort alone. Hmm, that sounds familiar. Alright, well done basic voice on this app that doesn't actually have a name. Some of that was probably a little bit difficult to understand, like Snackaskin is snakeskin, and I don't even know how she pronounced Expelliarmuses, but hopefully you get the idea of <laughs> what that was supposed to be. 
So jumping right in, at the very beginning of the chapter, they are talking about exams. Uh, exams are coming up and all the students are really, really shocked that the school has not canceled exams. But McGuck comes in and she's like, of course we're going to have exams. The school didn't even close. You should be grateful for that. And I really appreciate McGuck there. Obviously, it's a school. Exam should be expected. It's kind of such a kid thing to assume, though. Like, oh, we're all in danger. They're not going to put us through the stress of exams, etc. Kind of like how we usually talk about really looking at this from a kid's point of view. It seems perhaps a little bit more obvious that, yeah, of course they're not going to cancel exams if they're not closing the school. But looking at it from their perspective is really kind of cool in that moment. So then we have this moment. They are at breakfast and Ginny is approaching Harry and Ron and she is extremely nervous and about to tell them something. A little bit of a spoiler alert here. We learn that this is where Ginny is considering telling the boys that she's been the one kind of responsible for the attacks. Not really responsible, but that there has been this other force that's controlling her. And I really feel for her and her bravery in this moment. This is this little first year. She is going up to Harry, this older student that she really, really respects and has a crush on. And she is putting herself out there to tell him that she is doing all of these things when she really isn't in an effort to get it to stop. And of course, Percy comes in and has this really, I think, kind of misogynistic moment where it's like, oh, she just saw me do something. And that is what she wanted to tell you. And it doesn't really give too much information until the very end, which... Of course, we'll get there too, but it leaves it out open in such a weird way. Based on everything that Tara and I have been talking about this entire season, she walked in and them fucking in the classroom, you know? Of course, we'll find out that it's not quite that eventually, but the fact that Percy kind of cuts her off and doesn't let her say what she needs to say and assumes that it's about him kind of sucks. Unfortunately, I almost feel like it is the reason behind Ginny then kind of being captured. If she said that in that moment, Tom Riddle would not have had the opportunity to kind of swoop in and stop it from happening. Of course, then you also think, okay, if Harry knew immediately that that's what it was, how would he go about fixing it? Like, would he have still broken into the Chamber of Secrets and encountered Tom Riddle and destroyed the diary with the Basilisk fame? So that's clearly a really, really big spoiler that we'll get into more in the next chapter. But that scene is very, very telling, especially coming to a head with Ginny and Percy, who are two characters that we've talked a lot about in this book. So the next scene that happens, it cuts to them going from one class to another. Lockhart is taking the Gryffindors to their History of Magic class. I kind of draw a parallel between what Percy has just did and what Lockhart is doing in this next scene. Lockhart is spouting off about Hagrid again, kind of complaining about his duty as a teacher in the school during this time of danger. And he's like, why is this necessary? The monster's not going to come out and kill anybody. Hagrid was taken away. In, I 
think the last chapter or maybe the one before that, it talks about how that's ridiculous. Just because Hagrid is gone doesn't mean the monster isn't still out, even if Hagrid did it. But of course he's swinging his dick around in this moment and trying to show that he knows everything about this situation and shares that he thinks that Hagrid really is the person who did this yet again. Without really knowing too much about it, I believe we also touched on how he has said that he knows a lot more details about this whole thing. But Lockhart also wasn't around 50 years ago either. Just like how Ron made the mistake about Lucius Malfoy and thinking, oh, it was Lucius Malfoy who opened it and now Draco's back doing the same thing. Clearly, Gilderoy Lockhart doesn't do math either. He isn't that old. He's a piece of shit. Luckily, the boys take this as an opportunity and say, hey, you're right. If Hagrid did it, we're not in danger. So can we just go? And he lets them go. He's not following the rules of the situation that Dumbledore and McGonagall have put forward and let these boys run off. They're off to see Moaning Myrtle to hopefully get some more information. That's when they almost immediately get caught by Maga. And it feels, again, like one of those moments with Norbert. They're breaking the rules and it's a chain reaction into them getting in trouble. But luckily, there's this really lovely moment here with Maga where the boys tell her they are off to see Hermione. They're missing her and they want to let her know that they're there for her, almost as if she's in a coma and could maybe understand. I don't know how comas work. <laughs> I'm not saying that people in comas can understand what you're saying if you talk to them, but that sort of thing. <laughs> Naga, of course, has a big soft heart in this moment and lets the boys go visit Hermione. She tells them to give Quinn Pomfrey the permission via her and that she will tell Professor Binns that is why they're not in class. It's interesting. It almost makes me wonder why McGonagall did this. If I had to guess what Tara would say, it kind of harkens back to the conversations that we've had about the trio and Pomfrey, that they are kind of a unit and McGonagall especially really recognizes that. Like Tara said, that's why she let them come and see Hermione immediately when she was petrified, right after the Quidditch match was canceled and everything. So that's my guess. It really shows a rare moment of McGonagall showing her heart and it kind of superseding over her strict policies. So they go to see Hermione in the hospital wing. Pomfrey is like, well, she's not going to hear you. Like, she clearly can't, but she lets them in anyways. I think it's kind of the same sort of thing that I just said about McGuck. But luckily, this is where they go in and they notice that Hermione has a piece of paper crumpled up in her hand. It's almost amazing to me that nobody noticed this before. I assume that Pomfrey really isn't looking over the bodies or anything of these petrified students and noticing things like that. I mean, like she just said, she kind of knows what someone in this situation might be like, um, that they're not really going to need any specific help until the Mandrake potion is ready. So they notice this clue, which I think is brilliant. This whole book I have really felt has much more of a mystery feel to me, even more than the last one, because it's kind of like a murder mystery. It's like, who's doing this thing to all these students? There's all these great clue findings. And this is another really great moment of that. In the past, we've also talked about how great Hermione is for thinking about the mirror. And that's what kept her 
and Penelope alive. Hermione won a chapter a few ago. In fact, it was the one where she got petrified because of this moment. But on top of that, she had the great idea of holding that piece of paper in her hand, ripping it out of the book, writing pipes on it just in case. As she's being petrified through the mirror that is saving her and Penelope's life, she's also squeezing onto this in hopes that someone will find it. It's really, really amazing. I talk a lot about true crime and my other favorite podcast, My Favorite Murder. And there are always moments where they talk about someone who survives and how they have the great thought to like leave evidence in their captor's car or something or do as much as they can to fight and leave DNA behind or whatever. This is one of those moments to me. It's really, really great. Hermione would totally stay sexy and not get murdered just like she did right now. I love it. Really, really cool moment for Hermione. As you all know, I am a little bit more familiar with the movies. I have read the series through about two times. This is my third. And there are definitely things that get lost because my mind is so influenced by the movies. And one of them is the description of the basilisk. In particular, that it's born from a chicken's egg when it's sat on by a toad and the rooster's crow is deadly to it. That is something you so lose in the movies. And it's very similar to what we said about Fudge's like flamboyant outfit a couple chapters ago that is such an interesting fun description and it makes me a little irritated that they left it out i get it again it's a long movie they need to cut some stuff out but that in particular is so interesting they do of course mention that it's afraid of spiders i mean you have to it's a big part of the plot but where it gives a little bit more backstory about the basilisk it's like what the fuck of course something that they do cut from the movie is the whole chickens thing and killing the roosters likely so that they don't need to include that little bit of detail but it's still very interesting to me and the way that the basilisk comes to be i want a little bit more background about that and would love to see something like that in like a Fantastic Beasts movie or something of that nature in the future. And of course, this is why all of the roosters that Hagrid has have been getting killed. Like we said way earlier, the reason why Ginny was probably around Hagrid's hut is that she was scoping out chickens, that she was trying to get those killed so that there was less danger to the basilisk. It also makes me kind of wonder, like, was somebody killing chickens back when this happened 50 years ago as well? Was there a gamekeeper on site that had a whole bunch of roosters, you know? Then when Harry is kind of talking about it and realizing that Hermione kept this to give them the message, and he is also thinking about how none of the other students died when the basilisk looked at them, it's another one of those amazing moments. The sleuthing and the clue finding and his deduction skills are just really, really amazing. Thinking about the water for Mrs. Norris and nearly headless Nick for Justin, the mirror and the camera. It's really, really great. So this is a moment where the boys have a really great mature moment. They decide to run straight to McGonagall. After all, she was the one who gave them permission to go see Hermione. They found this great clue. It makes perfect sense. Again, it makes me wonder, like, what if they did get to McGonagall? Like, what would have happened at that point to, like, resolve the entire adventure part of the book in these next couple chapters? Unfortunately, what happens is there's another announcement. McGonagall orders all students to go back to their common rooms and all the teachers to come to the teacher's lounge. Now, of course, 
immediately what the boys decide to do is go straight to the teacher's lounge anyways because that's where they figure McGonagall's gonna be. It could have also gone in this way where they wait there for her and then tell her that they have a little bit more evidence. But I kind of think what might have happened if they did that is that McGonagall wouldn't have the time of day to let them give her the information that they're trying to give her. It's very clear that McGonagall and a lot of the teachers are really, really stressed out about what is happening here. And this is like the pinnacle of the tragedy. This is where we learn that the monster took Ginny Weasley into the Chamber of Secrets and that there was yet another sign posted saying that her skeleton would be found in the chamber forever. If she sees those two students in the teacher's lounge, she would have none of their shit. She'd say, get the fuck out of here. So they jump into a armoire. They overhear this whole moment. And then, of course, in typical lock shark, lock, lock shark. <laughs> yeah, we can keep that. Lock shark. In typical lock shark bullshit fashion, he comes in late, stumbles in, and he learns, too, that the monster is still active, despite what he thought already. And the faculty turn on him, and it's a wonderful, gratifying moment. And it's just the start of Lockshart getting what is coming to him. All the teachers are basically like, this is the chance that you've been waiting for to take on the monster one-on-one, -on -one, and they kind of leave him to do that. Part of me is like, hell yeah, this is a great moment to get some retribution for Lockhart being such a dipshit this whole book. But at the same time, these teachers know that he's incapable. Like, this isn't helping anything. They know Lockhart isn't going to actually kill this monster. So it's kind of like, yes, I love that they did it, but... They probably could have taken better steps. Another thing, though, they've been saying that he's been saying this all along all year. Why didn't they do this earlier? <laughs> the first few times when he's like, I could take this monster on. Why didn't they tell him at that moment? Well, go ahead and do it then and kind of like push him into it. There is one moment here where I misread when I was writing it. For me, it's on page 293 in my book. I have the original U.S. version, the hardback. The heir of Slytherin, said Professor McGonagall, who is very white, left another message. Right underneath the first one, her skeleton will lie in the chamber forever. When I first read this, and you might have even heard it when I said it, it completely seemed to me like the heir of Slytherin is very white. And in my notes, I wrote, no shit. <laughs> Another thing that I thought of in this moment, we talked about this as well. Ginny is writing all of these messages and we made the joke about it being paint, not blood. She is the one who has to write this on the wall about herself. Her skeleton will be lying in the chamber forever. Of course, she's under a trance at this point and a pretty deep one, I imagine. But it's still pretty terrifying to actually think about that. So the boys end up going back to the Gryffindor common room. Everyone is really, really quiet, and it's really solemn. The younger sister of three of your Gryffindors. Four Gryffindors, you fucking wanker. Percy is there too. Who is a Gryffindor herself is in danger, while two other Gryffindors are also petrified. And on top of that, the school is on the verge of being closed, and everyone is scheduled to go home tomorrow. It's a pretty low moment. There are other moments in the past, like Dumbledore and Hagrid being taken away by Lucius and Cornelius Fudge from a couple chapters ago, where it's like, oh shit. This is another one of those moments 
And of course, this is when Ron and Harry decide that they have to act. They've got to do something. The school is on the line. Harry, going back to the Dursleys, is on the line. Ginny's life is on the line. Hermione's life is on the line. So they decide to go see Lockhart. It's interesting that they chose to go to Lockhart. Perhaps it's because any other teacher who is actually abiding by the rules would be like, what the fuck are you doing out here? Go back to your room and not really listening to them, like I said before. So they end up going to Lockhart, assuming that he's going to go fight the basilisk. And of course, he is packing up. And this is where we learn the whole backstory. He admits to never reading those books. He says that he's really good at mind charms and he tries to do the same to the boys and they take actions so awesomely in this moment. Harry expelliarmuses the wand away from Lockhart and they throw it out the window. It's just such a badass moment. Part of me wishes that they would have kept the wand so that Ron would have one that didn't backfire. But of course, we need that (laughs) in a moment by the end of the chapter. They force Lockhart to come with them to the girls' bathroom. And that is when they finally interrogate Myrtle about how she died. And just as they thought, she tells them that she was being bullied by a girl named Olive Hornby, who I imagine after Myrtle was found dead, Olive had a lot of guilt. I like to think that she does. This is also a really interesting message on bullying. In this moment for Olive bullying Myrtle and then her dying a couple moments later and her almost being responsible. Again, it's responsible like Ginny is responsible for this stuff. But at the same time, like you never know what your bullying could cause someone to do. That's, of course, a very different situation. But in the same way, I mean, Olive Hornby really must have had a lot of guilt and perhaps trauma for what actually happened to Myrtle, assuming that she has some sort of conscience, of course. Um, I tried to look up what how she was. There's a lot of assumptions that she was a Ravenclaw as well, because Myrtle was a Ravenclaw. Olive was making fun of Myrtle's glasses. So she runs into the bathroom. She hears a boy whispering and then shouts at him to get out of the bathroom. And then she sees the yellow eyes and she's dead. She points out specifically where she saw the eyes by one specific sink. Myrtle even tells them that one of the spigots on the sink doesn't work. And then they find the inscription of the snake on there. Again, the deducing here by the boys is really, really smart and some mystery novel level shit. So Harry speaks parcel tongue. The sink sinks into the floor. They push Lockhart first (laughs) through the pipe and then follow suit. Even the description of their inner monologue as they're going through the pipe, like when are they going to actually hit the floor? And then the pipe kind of evens out. So it's like a giant water slide, um, a very steep and giant water slide. And they even say that they could be miles under the school, or I imagine they would have said kilometers in the original version. That really makes me wonder, like, how long were they falling in this pipe? Even if it did, like, curve out like a slide, I would hope that it kind of tapered off because that's still a pretty big fall. (laughs) Especially onto all these rat bones and everything that they are seeing and this giant snakeskin. This is a moment where I also was like, oh my god, like the terror that they have had to experience these last couple chapters and the amount of stress and anxiety that they've got to be going through between the meeting with Aragog, Ron now learning that his sister has been captured. I didn't really touch on it when I was talking about it happening in the book, but how he slumps down in that armoire and what he must be thinking. The news that school may be closed and everyone could be going home. 
finding the Chamber of Secrets, sliding down into this unknown pipe, and the terrifying nature of this huge snakeskin. It's pretty intense what they've been through, and really is kind of an interesting starting point to everything else that they're going to be facing in these next five books as well. So as they are kind of seeing their new surroundings down here in the depths of the castle, this is where Lockhart decides to make another moment. He keeps getting worse and worse and worse. This moment where he is down here in this terrifying environment with these two kids, he decides to steal Ron's wand and this is where he's going to obliviate them. He says something along the lines of he's going to tell everybody that the two boys go mad over seeing her mangled body. Can you get any worse? I mean, yes, you can. <laughs> we see it happen in the series. But holy shit, what a terrible dark thing to say that you're going to do just to save your own ass. I mean, we knew he was an egomaniac. We've been talking about it the whole time. But it's kind of like the peak that we see him go to. And of course, then he gets what has been coming to him and using Ron's wand it backfires on him. We actually don't find out at this moment that this is where he obliviates himself. The backlash of the wand knocking him back causes this wall of rock to fall in between him and Ron and Harry. So very similar to the first book where Hermione is taking care of Ron after the chess game, Harry's the only one who can move forward. There's this nice little moment between Harry and Ron where Ron has to wish him good luck and it's really very unknown. They don't know what they're walking into. I mean, very similar to the last book too. They don't know who they're actually going to see when they get to the end of that obstacle course of tests and guardians that are protecting the stone. In this case though, they know that it's probably a basilisk, but they don't know who they're gonna run into. It's definitely a lot creepier. We end with Harry going into the Chamber of Secrets. At this moment too, this is a question I have for Tara. Why the Chamber of Secrets? Why did Slytherin choose to call this the Chamber of Secrets out of everything that he could have done? It does kind of keep things a little bit more mysterious. It keeps things... Chamber of Secrets could be a good thing, you know? Secrets could potentially be, you know, something exciting and good. Of course, in this case, it isn't. But there's also all these quotes about secrets and how keeping a secret is never really a great thing. It's kind of opposite of honesty, if you will. Usually if you have a secret, it can be something that's kind of malicious. I actually looked up a few quotes on secrets and found some that I thought were pretty interesting and perhaps fit here. From George Orwell's 1984, if you want to keep a secret, you must also hide it from yourself. That's really interesting to kind of think about Slytherin's original reasons for building out the Chamber of Secrets. A secret at home is like rocks under tide, as in like something kind of lurking below. And in this moment with all the rocks kind of falling and trapping Harry, I don't know, I kind of liked that. That's from Dinah, Kralk, Magnus, and Morna. And then another one, three may keep a secret if two of them are dead, which is Benjamin Franklin from Poor Richard's Almanac, which... I feel like is also pretty interesting and applicable to this situation. You know, sometimes I think of secrets in terms of surprises, like keeping a secret about a surprise party or a gift for someone or something like that. That's like a nice secret. It's almost like a white lie. But when you really think about the majority of secrets and keeping a secret about someone or if someone asks you to keep a secret, many times it's actually kind of negative. So yeah, just something to think about.
Okay, so I just watched this portion of the movie, and there were a lot of things as I was watching it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, if Tara were here, she would balance me out. So, a lot to kind of go over. First, the way that this part opens up, you don't get any of the first portion with exams, and the moment where they dupe Lockhart is not there. It's simply them in the hospital wing with Hermione. Something I want to say, too, we talk a lot about special effects and how well the movie pulls things off. Petrified Hermione looks amazing. Someone had to actually recreate that. It's really creepy. It looks like an old antique doll or something, which adds even more <laughs> to how creepy it is. When they go to visit her, Harry puts his hand on Hermione's and that's where he finds the paper and it's not at all crumpled up. It makes me wonder like how didn't they notice this paper in her hand? Like it could have easily fallen out. This is also where we get the Myrtle revelation. But we don't get the ending of the Aragog chapter where they're in bed and that's when they realize it. Right at that moment is when they are like, what if the person who was found in the bathroom was is still there and it's Myrtle? And then I feel like the rest of the chapter is really well represented. That's when they get the announcement. And instead of the teacher's lounge, they go into the second floor corridor where the message is written. And it's, I feel like, very close to the book. You don't get a lot of the reactions of the teachers when they find out that a student was taken in the chamber. But you do get that terrible smugness of Lockhart when he skips up and he says that he dozed off. And even his reaction when Snape and McGonagall tell him that this is your chance, that you have all of this great experience. He has such a shit-eating grin on his face. And it's a great lead-in to this next scene. The boys will go straight to Lockhart with the information. This scene too is so well represented. They don't ex use Expelliarmus here and throw his wand out the window, of course, which I think makes what happens in the chamber a little bit more silly because Lockhart still has his wand. There's no reason for him to steal Ron's wand because he still has his. But the dialogue that happens here and the way that they talk to one another is so amazing. I did not really get too much into detail about what Lockhart says earlier, but things about Ron saying, what about my sister? And he's like, well, no one feels as bad about it as I do. And then the whole thing about books being misleading, it's so fucking slimy and it's so fast paced and well done in the movie. Harry has a moment where he says, are you going somewhere? And it's so, like, pointed. I really like how all three of them are acting in that moment. So then we have the cut to Myrtle. And even this part, I really, really like it. It's so true to the book. They mention everything from Olive Hornby to how it was a boy speaking, the inflection in Myrtle's voice. It's so perfect, perfectly done. We also get a little bit of that flirty moment of her having a thing for Harry. She has this line of like, if you die down there, you can always stay in my stall, which is super, um, well, I was going to say super cute, but uh, not really. Um, and even like her greeting to Harry is so soft and it really embodies her teenage character as well. I even forgot in the movie that when he inspects the sink, there is the little snake insignia on it. When I read it, I was like, oh, that's not in the movie, but it totally is. 
something that I forgot. And when the chamber opens up, it's beautiful. It's so much cooler than what you see in the book. In the book, it seems like the sink just drops out of sight. But the way that the top part of the whole sink area comes up and everything moves out is really, really great. And another piece of movie magic that you don't get in the book. When they push Lockhart into the pipe, you can actually hear him hit the bottom and say something about like it's very filthy down here, which is interesting. They don't really talk about it being miles underneath the school. And if it was miles, I still don't think it would have been that fast of a drop. And even when the boys go down, it feels like they slide quite a bit longer. But you can also see how it goes from a straight drop and then quickly into like a spiral. And then when they are looking at their new surroundings, all of the bones on the floor and how the snakeskin looks, it is again, so well done. Very similar to Petrified Hermione. It gives off this extremely creepy vibe that is just perfect for this moment. The whole thing with Lockhart fainting and then taking Ron's wand, I think it's so manufactured in this moment and so unnatural. Even the way he gets up and he points it at them, it kind of doesn't make sense to me, especially with what happened back in Gilderoy's office. It's a little bit strange. The other great special effects moment where he then backfires and all the rocks come, like one rock almost hits Harry entirely. It's very well shot. We do get this moment here, as I mentioned before. This is where we find out that Yildor has been obliviated himself instead of after the whole showdown with Tom Riddle and the Basilisk. And there are some nice little things that are added in here too about him asking Ron if he lives there and Ron knocking him out again. Nice little benefit to it happening at that moment instead of later. And I kind of think that that fits a little bit well too. Overall, I do think that the movie here does a pretty great job. I don't think some of the initial elements of them kind of tricking Lockhart again and getting um, McGuzz approval to go see Hermione, we do miss that lovely heartfelt moment from McGonagall, which I kind of would have liked to see because we don't see that a lot. But otherwise, the other changes that they made, such as having the meeting in the hallway, it makes a little bit more sense. It avoids them having to have yet another shooting location and they can see the message right on the wall right there, which is great for the movie. The only other thing, and I touched on this before in the book part, I don't like how they did leave out some of the details about the basilisk and its origins because it does add that fun, different color to the story. That's really all I have to say about the movie and let's move on to points. You all know that I've been on this tendency to give all three of the trio like 10 points each chapter. And I'm kind of still on that. Even though Hermione is petrified, she had the great hindsight to grab that piece of paper and the mirror after she finds out that it's a basilisk and has that great epiphany from several chapters ago. So 10 points to Hermione. I'm also giving 10 to Ron. He's there with Harry the entire time. Harry's actually doing a lot of the work at this point, doing the deduction and going to find Myrtle and everything. But Ron is right there too, and he also is in jeopardy of losing his little sister. So I'm giving him 10 and Harry 30 for all those great deduction moments. Plus 20 to McGonagall for that really lovely heartfelt moment for 
everything that she's going through in leading the school right now as the deputy headmistress and the fear that she is feeling can't be ignored too in that the school is closing this is also her home plus 10 to Ginny for the moment where she has those nerves that she's about to tell Harry and Ron what has been happening. I didn't touch on this, but that, of course, was cut from the movie. But because they really don't focus so much on Percy and Penelope, and Penelope isn't even petrified in this moment, it doesn't really make sense to put it there. Percy naturally wouldn't have interrupted and everything, so... It makes sense as something that they've cut from the bigger story not to leave that in. But I'm still giving her the 10 points in the book for the nerves and the bravery that she had in wanting to tell them. And of course, what happens to her in this moment? Don't worry, there's more points coming to her later for what really does happen in the Chamber of Secrets. Plus 10 also to Myrtle. You guys know, I really, really love Myrtle. I think here she is cooperating with them and it's getting a little bit more of her personality with her kind of like fondness of Harry, which I really enjoy. Negative five to Percy for interrupting and assuming that, oh, this is what Ginny was gonna tell you. It's kind of the know-it-all thing of Percy and it wasn't a great moment. Negative 10 to Olive Hornby. <laughs> for bullying Myrtle. If she hadn't bullied Myrtle, Myrtle might not have died. Of course, if Myrtle hadn't died and all of this still would have happened and Voldemort would have gone away and then come back and Tom Riddle would have opened it at this point, maybe they wouldn't have found the Chamber of Secrets. But still, we can't think about that. We have what is in front of us. Olive Hornby shouldn't have bullied and it resulted in another student's death. And negative 100 Lockhart. Lockhart obviously is not the main villain of this book, but he's pretty fucking bad. He finally reveals his true colors, that he is a fraud, that he really has no heart or compassion and only cares about himself. We've been new, we've been talking about it this whole book, but this is where it comes to a head and he gets what has been coming to him. So negative 100 to Lockhart. To recap, that is plus 10 to Ron, Hermione, Ginny, and Myrtle, plus 20 to McGuff, plus 30 to Harry, negative 10 from Olive Hornby, negative 5 from Percy, and negative 100 from Lockhart. And that is chapter 16, The Chamber of Secrets. So next time, I will be talking about chapter 17, The Heir of Slytherin. Again, it's just going to be me. Tara won't be joining us, but like I said, she'll be back for chapter 18. So sorry you've had to hear me talk this whole time and that you have to deal with it next time too, but she'll be back with us in good time. So we look forward to having you next time and have a great week. Bye. Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by Adam Bowers. And published by Tara Corkery via Podbean. And now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. And if you didn't enjoy us, then we're sorry you're so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast. Catch, Catch you later, later, snitches! snitches.